Vegas, baby, Vegas! At the end of the game, you count up your money. That's how you find out who's best. If all my bets were safe, there just wouldn't be any juice. Juice. Welcome to the latest Behind the Bets podcast. I am Doug Kazarian. Coming up here, Brian Winhorst. You've obviously seen him everywhere on ESPN platforms. He does a wonderful job. Also, his pod is great info, especially for betters. The Hoop Collective with Brian Winhorst. So make sure you go check that out. But I want to talk with Brian about a couple topics. Let's start with LeBron James. What do we make of the Lakers? He had some very interesting comments about the ceiling and how low it is for both LeBron and the Lakers. But obviously, we can't count out uh, LeBron because he has proved us wrong. So he's going to dive into that. Also explain what he's hearing uh, around the league from about the Suns and the Jazz. So two teams that many maybe teams are sleeping on. So I, I always have some curiosity there. And then also we're going to wrap it up with awards. I know we did it with Tim Bontemps a few weeks ago, but there actually may be some value out there. There's some heavy money lines, but these are kind of like decided. So I think there's some value with some of these awards. I encourage uh, people to kind of listen to what Brian has to say. He knows the voters and we only have a handful of games left. So if you want to tie up some money or whatever uh, for a few weeks, this could be, I think, an easy way to just kind of cash grab for lack of a better word. So we're going to get into all that with Brian straight ahead. I want winners. Time now to welcome in a man you have seen on all ESPN platforms and also heard here before on the Behind the Bets podcast, NBA insider, reporter, all everything, Brian Windhorse. How are you, sir? Hey, Doug. I'm so, I so much enjoy watching you in your palatial studios <laughs> in Las Vegas. Someday really I'll get out palatial. there to see I like that. that. Yeah, I know. For, forever, people are like, oh, I, I want to come check it out. It's like, sorry, need a tour. Not you because you're an ESPN employee, but yeah. others and but it is, it looks just like all the other studios, just has a really cool window and background. So um, it's a lot of fun. We're having a blast. We're almost having too much fun, you know? Uh, it's like, uh, in a lot of ways, the inmates are running the asylum. I'm wearing flip-flops sometimes to work and then to I'm the not desk. surprised. But uh, we, 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 get, we get out there and get some, get some work done somehow, one way or another. But uh, speaking of getting to work, I want to get through some of the uh, top storylines here. I wanted to pick your brain because there's always opportunities in the betting market, as you certainly know. Um, so much overlap with information and how we can apply it. And there's opportunities there. And I want to talk about the Lakers because they're still the second betting favorite. And, but so much of that is just liability in the book that's already has um, action out there. I don't think on a neutral court, the Lakers would be the second best team, but at full strength projecting now that they've added Drummond, I guess the million dollar question is like, what, what do you anticipate the Lakers looking like come playoff time? Even it's even through the path of the, play-in game because LeBron had some really eye-opening remarks. Forget what he said about the play-in. It was more like, I'll never be this good again about the ankle. Yeah, so okay, first off, in the short term, I don't think he's going to play much, if at all, the rest of the regular season. Uh, primarily because they've got seven games left uh, starting on Thursday is there uh, seven games left and six of those are in back, three different back-to-back sets. And LeBron's just not going to play in a back-to-back. So forget that. So that's, you know, he's, he's obviously not going to play this weekend. And then you're, then you're left with, you know, five games, you know, two sets of back-to-backs. I think he plays in two games max, if at all. So use that as your guidance for, for, for what the Lakers are going to do uh, the rest of the regular season. That's number one. Number two, he has probably sprained his ankle, you know, 30 times in his NBA career. Um, 
but this is so different. It's it's almost like not, they almost shouldn't even call it a sprained ankle because while I'm not an orthopedist and I'm not trying to sound like one, the area that Marshall is injured, tears. the area that is injured is completely different than the, all those low ankle sprains. And so, you know, I've had athletes tell me that a high ankle sprain can affect them for six months. And I suspect when LeBron gives interviews, whether it's after these playoffs, or maybe it's like next year, he's doing a sit down with Rachel Nichols at the beginning of the season. He'll say, my ankle was not ready to play. I just came out there to try to, to test it. And I was battling it really badly. And so if I suspect we're not going to see LeBron recover until next season. Now that, that statement is, can be taken a lot of different ways because there's lots of shades of gray. That doesn't mean that the Lakers can't be, um, uh, can't be uh, a danger that LeBron can't perform at a level that can't reach championship level. Uh, All of those things could, um, you know, could definitely come into play. But, you know, the thing about it is, is that if this was a normal team, you know, their odds would probably raise and they would become actually a, uh, you know, a value bet. But it'll never happen with the Lakers for all the reasons that you know and have already talked about. Yeah, it's fascinating. And we saw another version of this last night with the Clippers when Kawhi, you know, so much of the team in the offense when you have a superstar revolves around that player. So when Kawhi is inserted back into the lineup, it almost takes time to readjust to playing around the focal point. And the Clippers barely escaped uh, the Raptors as double-digit uh, favorites last night. And we saw that with LeBron's first couple games back. Role players were kind of in a groove around – even AD, they figured it had figured it out. But around LeBron, it, there's an adjustment period because they mean so much to the offense and they are the focal point of the offense. So if LeBron's only going to play two games and it'll be sort of disjointed, again, they're not going to be you know humming, so to speak, firing on all cylinders, then – the ceiling of this team feels like it's going to be low. So much depends on the draw, but there might be an acclimation period even during the first round. Yeah. So the, the number to watch, you just got to pay attention to their defense. The Lakers are not a good offensive team on balance. It doesn't mean that in individual games, they can't be really good, but they're not a good offensive team. The way that they are built is to play elite level defense, which they are, um, and then have their two, future Hall of Fame guys get enough done offensively to get them by. That is the formula that won them the title last year. When they actually got to the playoffs, they had a couple of guys who hadn't been that great offensively uh, during the regular season, namely Kentavious Caldwell-Pope, really have great playoff runs. And that gave them a really nice cushion. And maybe that'll happen again. Um, but they really need more than anything. They need to have elite level defense. And what is, what happened when Anthony Davis first came back and, you know, I'm not in the locker room and I'm not like breaking down film, but, you know, just anecdotally as I was watching them, their defense, which was number one in the league while uh, before AD got hurt and then was number two in the league defensively in the 30 games that AD missed, their entire team let their guard down. It was almost like, well, AD is back and now we can just take it a little bit easy. And they were awful by their standard defensively for those two weeks. And that's when they lost six out of those seven games. And, and the, and AD, by the way, was, was at the, was at the root of it. He was very lethargic defensively. And when they did have that big win over Denver earlier this week, it was because they defended, 
you know, they only scored like 94 points in that game. So right. the Lakers can still do this, but they got to defend. They, they that's got to be their thing. And they got, and they, they'd even, I say have to even defend. I don't know if they can defend better, but they have to defend with even more consistency. So it's there. I, I wouldn't tear up my Laker championship tickets yet. Um, but their margin for error is definitely narrowed. And the thing about it is, is that I know what I, what I keep hearing from people over and over is LeBron has done this to us before. His teams have looked very, you know, weak and been wheezing as they've gone into the playoffs. And the next thing you know, the guy's standing in the finals. That's absolutely true. But that was when LeBron was healthy. Um, you know, one of his most remarkable playoff runs he had was his last year in Cleveland. They won two game sevens in the Eastern Conference playoffs. Uh, one of them on the road. Road game seven wins are the rarest thing in the NBA. Um, uh, and he did. He got his team to the finals. But that was a healthy LeBron. He played all 82 games that regular season, obviously every single playoff game. This is a LeBron that is not going to be healthy. And so I can't predict how that ankle is going to feel in two weeks or a month. And that's, that makes seeing their future pretty difficult. Yeah, no, I, I agree with everything you said, but you elaborated and explained why, which is something a lot of people have not been able to put their finger on. So it's good to hear that. We'll see. Maybe he has another gear, but yeah, the, the, the injury. And when he said that, that really was sort of a sobering um, concept. One thing I want to shift to in the West at the top of the West, and that's particularly the Suns, because right now they're the seventh favorite. Again, so much of this is because of the what's come in behind the counter in the one-way betting market. The Suns are the one seed with the tiebreaker. Now, they have some tough games left. Jazz are right there as well. Maybe they end up with the two seed. Who knows? I've always said the Suns at full strength are a legit threat. Now, when they have an injury or two, they're just not the same. But when they are at full strength and everyone is there and they know their roles, they're a really tough team to beat. What's the, what's the dialogue behind closed doors within the league about their legitimate championship chances? Well... You know, typically to really get it done at the NBA at a high level, you have to have um, terrific perimeter play uh, and you have to have, uh, you know, two, ideally three, but really two uh, big time star players. And so the, the Suns have that. And, um, you know, you know I, I don't think that both, Booker and Chris Paul will make all NBA. Um, the guard position is very tight this year. So I don't know if Booker will make it, but they are two all NBA esque players. And with bridges, they obviously have another player there who is a, is a high level defensive uh, defensive player. Um, and I actually think I've, I've had people push back on me on this. I actually kind of like their depth. Um, you know, you know, they bring Jay Crowder off the bench in a lot of games. That's a, that's a good player. Cameron Johnson, really good shooter that they bring off the bench. Um, uh, uh, Dario Saric, versatile player. They bring off the bench. They go, you know, Torrey Craig, a nice addition for them. They go mm -hmm. like eight and a half or so deep and you need that to make a playoff run. Now the, the pushback on them and the reason why I'm sure that there isn't a ton of money coming in on them is that outside Chris Paul, and I guess you could say Jay Crowder, but you know, he's a reserve. He starts some games, but he's mostly a reserve. They have no playoff experience whatsoever. You know, Deandre Ayton, Devin Booker, 
Bridges, Johnson, uh, all these guys, they haven't, they haven't breathed one breath of playoff air. And it's not like I think that you have to have a load of experience, but the concept of winning 12 games in the playoffs, which would, would, what it would take to get to the, to the finals, much less 16, when you've never done it before, it's just very unusual. You know, it's, it's frankly just about unheard of, um, you know, and, and especially the fact that, you know, not only have they not experienced it individually, they haven't experienced it as a team. Um, right. And, you know, I, I will say that they have an incredible window, Doug, because um, the Lakers, as we talked about, are limited somewhat. Um, the Clippers, uh, as much talent as they have, <laughs> I have no idea about their health status and I have no idea what they'll deliver at the end. The Nuggets have been have been slammed with injury. The Jazz, um, <clears throat> as good as they are, also haven't proven that they can do it. You know, that team collectively hasn't won a playoff series. So um, if I'm Chris Paul, this may, may be my best chance ever. And I expect him to play that way. But I don't know if I can really say that they're going to win multiple series with no experience. You know, it's tough. They're so dismissed uh, throughout the course of the playoffs. But you're right. The window, the, the breaks are sort of breaking their way. And, you know, something I talk about a lot is, we, we get so hot caught up with um, just because we, you know, we get, we get, we're comfortable betting things that we've seen before, but just because something hasn't happened doesn't mean it won't. And that there's no better example than Virginia the year after losing to the 16 seed, everyone kind of wrote off Bennett's offense. You can't win that way. You know what? And then they won the, won it all the next year. And so it can happen, whether it be these teams come out of nowhere and win, like we saw with the Warriors a handful of years ago. Now injuries broke their way as well, particularly in the NBA Finals. But they were our loaded team once they had their kind of – and you don't have to beat every team as well, as you very well know in this bracket format. Um, I like the Suns' chances. I think they're undervalued in the futures by running to the window. That may be no, true. That may be true for sure. But but that I was just curious because they are – and then the Jazz, what's the sort of label on the Jazz? Did they peak too early? Are they just kind of weathering the storm with injuries and we'll flip the switch? Because I loved, and pretty much how could you not, loved how they were playing at their peak, whether it was January or whatnot. Well, they have the classic uh, champion's footprint, which is a top five offense and a top five defense. Um, they have depth. Um, they shoot the three ball extremely well. Uh, and, I mean, they're, they're going to win playoff games just because they're going to they're gonna kill you with the three ball. Um, they are sometimes susceptible to great perimeter players, but guess what? Everybody is, um, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and Donovan Mitchell is sitting out right now, but from what I understand, I mean, it was a real ankle sprain, but they are more taking advantage of giving him the rest than he, than he can't play. If this was a playoff situation, I think he would probably be able to be out there right now. So, you know, Good. they've lost some traction. Uh, you know, they've, they've lost, con- you know, the control of the number one seed, be- you know, largely, I think, because Donovan's been out. But I also think it's like they're trying to make sure that he's 100 percent right. So um, uh, and I think they're uh, they're you know, they, they also have terrific coaching. I, I think Quinn Snyder tactically is one of the best coaches in the league. Um, you know, obviously, they had that terrible let down the playoffs last year and uh, Quinn Snyder was part of that. He was, you know, but um, I would bet on Quinn Snyder and his, um, his game planning. Um, Cause I think game, you know, people, this league, this season, Doug has been so wild over the top in scoring. Um, and this has been the most prolific offensive season on the rec on record aggregate. Um, 
when we get to the playoffs, uh, I think we're going to see, I suspect, I, I don't know, but I think we're going to see that peeled back because teams haven't been able to practice this year at all, not only because of the schedule, but because with the testing that they have to do, the coaches have just tried to give these guys a break because all the testing, 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 and all the other demands of this basically quarantine, he's trying, the coaches are trying to give their teams a break. And so they haven't been able to put in many game plans for their opponents. So many of these teams, their prep is like a 25 minute walkthrough a couple hours before the game, not a full practice and shoot around. So once you're able to focus in on an opponent, once you're able to learn their seven or eight, best plays and develop countermeasures and stuff, which I think the jazz will do very well. I think scoring is going to peel back. Um, and I think that benefits the jazz, but we'll see. And especially that week uh, while the others are doing the play in sort of tournament, those top seeds will be able to focus on their opponent. Now they're going to have to wait a little bit, but maybe the three, four and five and six teams will know their opponent and they'll be able to kind of scout. And you're right. I know that when the Lakers and jazz played on that Saturday, a couple Saturdays ago, uh, Frank Vogel said this is the first time we've made in-game adjustments, or it was the most in-game adjustments they've made. Um, so maybe just kind of like getting through this regular season and prepping for the playoffs, we will see a kind of a, a different sort of tactical approach from a lot of teams. I want to wrap things up with just going through the awards. I had Tim Bontemps on a couple of weeks ago with his straw poll, and then the odds have certainly shifted that way, and we hoped that a lot of viewers – excuse me, listeners were listening and got have good value on some tickets. But now I still think there's some value out there. What would you say Jokic's chances with just a handful of games left are for the MVP? Very strong. I mean, they were very strong on the straw poll, which is legitimate NBA voters, MVP voters. And if anything, his case is only strengthened because they're nine and two since Jamal Murray got hurt. And, um, and have had a couple of impressive wins in there. Uh, uh, you know, I, I think Steph Curry has, has made strides with this late run, um, but I don't think it's going to impact, um, and, you know, and, and the guy who was going to, was going to probably challenge, um, uh, challenge him and bead has missed some more time. So uh, I, I think Jokic's position on the MVP is as strong as it's, it's been the whole, the whole time. Yeah. So he's, he's, he's right now, um, 90% based on the, the odds. And I think it's like 99% uh, unless, I mean, I just don't see how he doesn't win. Yeah. So I think if you 900s out minus 900s out there, just kind of silly in, in my way, in my world. Um, some other interesting awards, rookie of the year. Now the odds changed between when I texted you this morning and where they are now. And I'm very mad because I was going to go bet this, but LaMelo Ball now minus 650 at MGM. There's probably some better prices at FanDuel and DraftKings, which are more nationally available. But LaMelo Ball's return, Halliburton's out, but that's only a last handful of games of the season. Where do things stand in your eyes, talking to voters, and where, who's going to win that award? Yeah, I think uh, LaMelo – I think LaMelo was probably going to win it even if he didn't come back. Um, you know, he certainly had my vote. Anthony Edwards has played well, um, especially recently, and the Timberwolves have improved. But he's, you know, Lamelo's been so dynamic this year. Um, I think there will be multiple players who get first round or first uh, place votes, but I think it's Lamelo's award, um, not by the largest margin you've ever seen, but uh, I think he's going to win it. And I think Anthony Edwards finishes 
a respectable two with Halliburton likely third. Okay, so that's a good point. So like the the, the first place votes will be spread out and, and um, minus 800 is what I'm seeing at FanDuel, minus 650 at MGM for LaMelo Ball. Um, so that, that makes sense on that front. Uh, so those were the two ones that were sort of big favorites. I think the other one is comeback at player of the year. There's a minus 2,000 on um, Julius Randle. And understandably, do you expect anyone else to win that award? Yeah, most improved. Yeah. Um, Sorry, I mean, yes, most improved. I mean, Julius Randle has been absolutely phenomenal. And not only has he been great, but his team is um, a huge success story. It's just a great success story. And he's improved yeah. dramatically on defense. He's improved dramatically with his three-point shooting. Um, you know, he's going to make all NBA. And at the beginning of the season, um, a lot of people thought the Knicks might trade him and his contract for next year is not guaranteed. And when people were forecasting and looking at what the Knicks salary cap space was next year, um, they were just assuming he was going to get waived. They were like, yeah, the Knicks can have 50 million in cap space. And, you know, uh, and by the way, this is people in the league. This isn't just, you know, you know, reporters. So the fact that he's come from being a guy who might've been traded or cut to being an, an all-star and all NBA player, I think that's a no brainer. I, I think he does win that heavily going away. Uh, that, that award uh, most improved is always the award that is the most varied because there's no real um, criterion. You know, some people don't believe you should give it to a guy in his second year because those types of people always improve. Other people say you shouldn't give it to us to a star who just gets better. So, but not everybody feels that way. Like last year, Luka Doncic, for example, got votes for most improved. Um, so I expect the voting to be all over the board for that award, but I think Julius Randle probably has it. Okay. Now, six man of the year is interesting because Clarkson is a heavy favorite. He's minus 650 at MGM, minus 1250 at uh, DraftKings. But Ingles has like really legit stats. Sometimes we see in various sports and various awards uh, cannibalizing one another with teammates. Right. What do you anticipate happening with this as you talk to other voters? So, you know, at midseason, this might have been near unanimous for Clarkson. Um, he's been in a slump and tailed off a little bit in the sort of last quarter of the season, but he had such a gigantic lead that even if you made a case for Ingles or another player, uh, I just, I just don't see him coming down from that perch. I mean, he's, he's probably, he's probably it's one of those things where the award was probably wrapped up by the all-star break. Right. And that they were the heavy one seed. I, a question is, is there a criteria in terms of minimum games off the bench? Cause Right now they're at um, – he's you know, Ingles has started 23 games. I don't think that's enough to disqualify him, but yeah. he has been starting a bit. You know, I don't even know what it would be this year, especially in a 72-game season. Typically when there's gray areas like this, this happens with the all-NBA team all the time. Like is such and such a player a center or is he a forward? Is he a forward or is he a guard? Right. And the NBA – kind of makes rulings like sometimes they'll say we'll accept him uh, if he has voted guard or forward or whatever if this was an issue the nba would make a ruling but you're the first person to really bring it up to me so i haven't heard and the ballots aren't out yet so we haven't heard any of that stuff but it's possible the nba would say that in this case i do not think he would be disqualified with 23 starts I, I forget who it was and what year, but I know the guy who tweeted at me saying like some guy won uh, where he started like over half the games or something. So it's not really like a firm hardcore thing, uh, at right. least in, in the past. So I guess the most 
um, wide open of all the awards. Is, uh, these odds surprise me. At DraftKings, Rudy Gobert is minus 560 to win Defensive Player of the Year. I bet him not too long ago at like 220 or something a couple months ago, but I'm surprised. Like, But other people tell me this is like a done deal. Do you think it is? Because Ben Simmons, Giannis, and Bede used to be. Obviously, he's been banged up. Uh, those are all names that I certainly wouldn't be shocked if they won. Yeah, so the defensive metrics that exist – and just the metrics in general, Gobert is far and away um, stand out defensively. So if you look at something that uh, we at ESPN use called real plus minus RPM for short, um, he is the best defensive player in the league by like two times. Uh, his rating is two times better than uh, number two or three. Um, uh, his plus minus overall for the whole year is number one in the league. He's, you know, he right. is the most Conley's valuable Conley's too, right? <laughs> yeah, I think Conley is too. Um, but he's way ahead of Conley. I'm even sure. I, I think he's got a comfortable margin on Conley. So, uh, plus if you watch them play, he just, he intimidates guys. I mean, whatever his block numbers are or whatever, he gets, uh, you know, he gets almost like a, like a quasi block or a, a pseudo block once or twice a game because the guy doesn't even go in there because they don't want to face him. So, um, I think he's... I think he's going to win that award comfortably, even though, you know, Philadelphia has had a great defensive season and they have two candidates. Uh, Giannis, you know, uh, the Bucks have backslid on defense a little bit this year, but, you know, Giannis has been great. But I think this is Gobert's award. He'll reclaim it after Giannis won it last year. All right, my man. Good stuff. Great stuff, as always, I should say. Just so fun uh, picking your brain. You always have a wealth of knowledge. And my, one of my favorite things to do, especially on live television, is uh, re-tee a question because you always have more in there. It's it's uh, it's just putting you on the spot. You always you always deliver. So appreciate your availability. I know our listeners do as well. Thanks, man. Keep up the good work. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, and hopefully see you soon out here in Vegas. That would be great. Summer. I'd love it. Money won is twice as sweet as money earned. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the Behind the Bets podcast. Thanks to everyone who downloaded, rated, reviewed, subscribed. Just try to do that as much as you can. It really helps us. And obviously, thank you to the great Brian Windhorse. Always a wealth of information. And there's a lot out there that we can use as betters. And his podcast is awesome. The Hoop Collective podcast with Brian Windhorst. Go check that out, especially with the regular season winding down, the playoffs just around the corner. Really valuable information as we uh, try to find the opportunities, whether it be a series price, game price, totals, you name it. There is information out there within the ESPN podcast umbrella. So thanks again to everyone. And we'll see you back here next week.